Lord. We have sung about our aspirations to really adore you, love you, uh, to know you better, to have you closer. The, our heart's desire is expressed in song form, Lord, and, and sometimes it's hard to live up to those words. But we do pray, Lord, that we would increasingly be aware of you. And I would ask even uh, more so in the next 25, 30 minutes we have that we would even be able to identify maybe uh, something in, in us that you you would like to bring up and bring life to and encourage and, and bring out whatever it is, God, that um, you know we've carved out this time. We've set it aside to be here to at some level hear you. And so I pray you would be speaking and we would have ears to hear, which was one of our relational skills, Lord, ears to hear and eyes to see. So give us ears to hear whatever it is your still small voice wants to say today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, so as I mentioned, we're going to dig into relational skills. Last week, Pastor Terry talked about Paul, the Apostle Paul, whose name was Saul, before uh, his uh, conversion experience, before he, was, before he changed course, and instead of fighting against God, was fighting for God, um, he was known as Saul. And he was very vehement and passionate in his persecution of the early followers of Jesus. He was like a one-man wrecking crew against the church. And uh, then last week we looked at this change that comes, and he, he has an experience with God that, that gives him a 180, and then he uses that same passion and energy and vehemence to fight for God instead of fighting against Him. But, as we saw last week, there was uh, some people who were a little bit leery, a little bit hesitant to sort of embrace Paul f fully, uh, you know, they're like, hey, weren't you the guy that tried to kill me last week? Um, I'm not sure about you yet. Um, and that's where Barnabas entered in. Barnabas uh, sort of took Paul under his wing. He vouched for him to the church. He said, no, this man really, he, he really, he does love Jesus now and he wants to follow and we should embrace him. And, um, and then he became sort of a sponsor, mentor, uh, person for him, and, and so there's this admirable relationship that we saw blossom and form last week. And then uh, later on, they go out and they, they do work for, for God together, which is ministry. They go on a mission trip. They traveled into new, new countries, new territories, places that have never heard about Jesus Christ, and they begin to share the message and spread the word, and it's met. They... they they got some rough going. There's persecution. People are trying to stone them. There's all kinds of things are happening. But they're working together. They're laboring together. So here's this relationship which started out with you know, Paul and Barnabas. And, and, um, and then they bring in this third party named John Mark, who's Barnabas's cousin. And they go on this mission trip. And so there's these wonderful relationships forming that we looked at last week. And now this week we're going to look at a sort of turning in the road for those relationships. I put in your handout a passage from Acts 15. Um, we start in verse 36. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and he wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. 
Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care, and then they traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. So here's this wonderful relationship. We looked at the admirable qualities of it last week that has now separated. And I would, um, I mean, I'll just put it out there. I think Paul is probably the most famous follower of Jesus ever and one of the most admired. The guy wrote a third of the New Testament that we have. And um, most of what we believe about um, how to follow Jesus, a lot of that was written by him. Barnabas, too, very admired as one of the great men in church history. Uh, all these wonderful qualities, encourager, um, and, and uh, somebody who could be trusted. And yet, they, they at some point, they separate. I mean, it, the, the picture is, you know, Barnabas is going west and he's going north. And they're like, you go, your, you take John Mark because I'm not going to have anything to do with him. Well, fine. Then you find somebody else and you go north. I'll go this way. You go that way. Never the twain shall meet. Um, and so it's kind of amazing to sort of look at these greatly admired men who had such a wonderful relationship and see that even they had relational tensions and strife. And so kind of the, the overarching paradigm or thought behind what we're going to talk about today is that we all face relational strife. None of us are immune to having some of our relationships get difficult. Okay, um, No matter who we are, uh, no matter how old we are, no matter how good our relationships are, they all at times will face tension and strife. Look, people let us down. People hurt us. People do things that hurt us. People say things the wrong way. People say things they don't mean. People say things we interpret the wrong way. People say things that we twist and hear a different way in our head. We're, all of us get hurt by people that we love. And people let us down. Uh, maybe they don't live up to our expectations, which I think is what's going on here with Paul and John Mark. Uh, even Jesus uh, would have had occasion to take offense. I mean, Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. The rest of them ran and left him and abandoned him. Um, if he was so inclined, he could have taken offense. He did not, which says something about offenses. There is the ability to not take offenses when they're out there. Um, but Jesus did not. I myself actually, and I know this is shocking, hold on to your seat, have offended a few people in my day. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, I tell our newcomers when we have a class together, I go, you know what? I go, I know right now this church looks great. Hang around for a while. I'll do something <laughs> to, uh, to bring, you know, to take the veil off of that polish or whatever. Um, you won't be this. You won't find this to be a perfect church. Okay, we're all flawed, and it doesn't matter who we are in the church. We're all flawed, and therefore we're all going to have relational strife. Now, the good news, and there is good news. The good news is, and I put in your passage, Second Timothy four eleven. Uh, there's restoration in in Paul and and John Mark's and Barnabas's relationships, and I think there can be restoration restoration in many of ours. 
So we'll look at that. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. That's the same John Mark. Bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. In Colossians 4, 10 and 11, it says, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends his greetings. And so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, and this is a different Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God. And oh, what a comfort they have been. So we can see that I mean, when we left Paul and John Mark, they were going different directions. Separation. There was nothing, um, no agreement. Let you go your way, I'll go mine. Now we find, on the flip side, Mark is very useful to me in ministry, and he's a great comfort to me. Bring him with you. I really want to see that guy. He is very special to me. And if he comes your way, you greet him, because that's a great man. What happened? In between, how do we get from here to here? And the Bible doesn't spell it out. So we have to sort of read into it. And that's what we're going to look at today. Um, what are the relation, relationship skills that have to be in place for something that's broken and separated to be healed? What are the relationship tools? What are the skills we need to sort of restore relationships that are broken? Now, at the outset, I'll just point out, not every relationship that's broken should be mended. Some relationships are not healthy. Um, but that's not the relationship I'm talking about here today. I'm talking about relationships with loved ones, people God put in your life, fellow uh, travelers on the way with Jesus Christ, fellow family members, people we love. The, the main relationships in our life, like Paul and John Mark were, and Paul and Barnabas were, they were put together, knit together, really, from the outset um, to, to do things for God. And, and so they had to overcome their differences and get to a place of healing and grace. And I think the first thing that had to happen uh, was that there had to be an openness or a soft-heartedness. What do I mean by that? Well, <clears throat> I mean that there had to be something in each one of those people that said, I, I am not going to kill this relationship, despite the fact it may look like it's not doing so well. Maybe, um, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's on its deathbed. Maybe it's, it's not very healthy. Maybe it looks like it won't be restored. But I'm not going to finish the job. I'm not going to close the door on that. I'm going to be open to the fact that maybe, possibly, someday, something could happen where we could mend that thing. Because if one of them put their foot down and said, that's it, done, nothing, no, never again, you can't hurt me again, I will never go there again, then there's no way for that thing to heal. There's no way for that thing to be restored. I thought about Jesus and when they talked about his relational qualities in Matthew 12, 20. Uh, and it said, uh, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench. And it's a picture of, of a reed that when they're bruised, they just fold over on themselves. They can't hold up the weight anymore. And so the top half just would collapse and it would be useless. So they'd tear it off and throw it away, just throw it in the fire. 
or a fire, the smoking flax is a fire that's just about out. There's no embers, there's no coal, there's no fire, there's only smoke. And it's on its last breath, and it should just be, you know, they would just put a little sand on it and finish the job. And it says, Jesus doesn't do that. That's not the way he treats relationships. If there is any life left in it at all, he's not going to choke it out. He's not going to finish the job. He is going to breathe life into it, try to bring healing into it. He's going to build that fire back up, get it burning again, get some flames going, breathe on it, get some, get some oxygen in there. He's going to heal that reed. He's not going to throw it away. It's not useless to him. And that's what I'm talking about here, an openness. An openness to not just snuffing out things that are, on, uh, that, that are not looking good. Well, forget it. That's in the past. That can never be healed. For, you know, they just close the door. Move on. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for some openness. And um, I would say this. Both Paul and John Mark would have reasons to <clears throat> feel justified in their position. Okay? I mean, they both could have had a reason to say, well, forget him. If you're John Mark, you're out, you know, you're out, uh, out there on this mission trip, you're vulnerable, you're facing persecution, you're facing, um, you know, people are stoning you at times. I mean, there, he faced a lot of trials, a lot of persecutions. I could see where he's going. John Mark left me, man. This is, how can I trust him? The guy, you know what, when I needed him most, he wasn't there for me. It's like being in a war and the guy in your foxhole gets up and runs away. He deserted me. He quit on me. And then I had to do it alone. And I had nobody to strengthen my hand. I had nobody to help me. I can't trust John Mark. I'm not going back there again. And John Mark could have said, man, Paul, guy's brutal. He, I mean, when he needed a second chance, my cousin's there for him, vouching for him. Hey, the guy's all right. Give him a second chance. When I need a second chance, he swings a sword, lops my head off. No grace. That guy's got no grace, no mercy, no second chances. He just, all he cares, you know what? He cares more about what he's doing than he cares about me. I don't mean anything to him. I'm just, he just throws me away as nothing. And you can see where if you're in either of their skins, they would both have a reason to kind of justify their position and then kick the door closed and say, forget them. But we need to remain open. And I think there's a good segue into the, the, my second thought, which is we need to stay humble. See, when you get from that place where you're Paul going, you know what, that guy can't be trusted, he is a deserter, to, you know what, my expectations of him might have been a little bit too high. I think I put on him more weight than he could actually bear. And I broke him down because I tried to make him be something he wasn't. And actually, you know what? He does deserve a second chance. I got one. And so humility open, enters into the picture. So first there's this openness to not closing the door. And next there's this movement towards, you know what? Maybe I don't see completely. Maybe, I, maybe my eyes are a little bit veiled. Maybe I see through a glass dimly. Maybe I'm not right. 
even if I am right and I have a right to be right, maybe I'm wrong. You know? Maybe, maybe if I am right, maybe, it's, maybe he's more important to me than being right. Maybe I'll lay down my rights and say, I'm going you know, to reach out to John Mark. It's more important to me than the relationship. Maybe John Mark's going, he gets from the point where he says, that guy's just harsh, no mercy. Guy's got no grace. To the point where he goes, well, you know what? Maybe he had it pretty rough out there without me. Maybe when I left him, I'm not, I didn't really understand how tough it was going to be on him, and maybe he's afraid. Maybe he's a little bit frightened of being left alone like that again. And so maybe, you know, both of them have to move into a position of, you know what, i got to adjust my thinking here because I'm only seeing it from my side. They gotta, somebody has to be the bigger person. Somebody has to be the one who says, um, okay, whatever the things were around the circumstances, I want our relationship is more important to me than that stuff. And then somebody needs to make a step forward. And that's where vulnerability comes in, right? Because you can think the humble thought. You can put yourself in the position where you say, okay, I'm not so mad at them anymore because I can sort of understand their position. Or actually, you know what? Um, even if I am mad at them, I, I just, their relationship to me is more important. Whatever it is, wherever you get to in that humility place, nothing happens to restore the relationship until there's some sort of action, until someone takes that step. And that step is a dangerous step. It's a vulnerable step. I want to read from a little um, story out of a book I read from Madeline Engel, and, and the book's called Walking on Water. A great little story, very short. Stay with me. During the second... World War, one of my friends was an English woman who was married to an RAF officer. Daily, she walked with, there's the word, vulnerability, not knowing whether or not his plane would be shot down. One day, he was allowed an unexpected leave before a dangerous mission, and he came home to London for a brief visit with his wife and three small children. Joyfully, she left him at home, took all their food coupons, and went shopping to prepare as festive a meal as could be procured in wartime London. While she was gone, there was an unexpected daytime raid, and her house was hit. Her husband and all three children were killed. During the rest of the war, she worked hard, was helpful to many other people, did her passionate grieving in private, but ultimately she met a man who fell in love with her and asked her to marry him. And here's the, the real point of the story. It was, she said, the most difficult decision she had ever had to make in her life. If she did not marry again, if she had no more children, she was safe. She could not be hurt again, as she had been hurt. If she remarried, though, and if she had more children, she opened herself up to total vulnerability. See, it's easier to be safe than it is to be vulnerable. She made a dangerous decision and she dared to love again. The, the movement from where our heart gets soft enough to say, I want to I wanna do something about what I see is broken, and the action 
is there's a large there's a chasm right there because it takes it takes us from the place of thought to a place of real uh, vulnerability a place where we can get hurt because if I make a gesture to you and you reject it at some level I'm going to be re-wounded and re-hurt and all everything that's healed and all the wounds that have been sort of been patched up are going to start getting infected again and it's going to start all over again that movement that first movement the Bible doesn't tell us who it is I don't know if it was Paul or John Mark your guess is as good as mine but somebody made the first gesture somebody reached out with the olive branch as it were someone did it and whoever that was was vulnerable and the response from the other person had to be vulnerable as well we know they patched up the relationship so it wasn't rejected and that's a vulnerable place to say I'm gonna try again I'm gonna I'm gonna give it another shot lastly I thought that no matter even if they're opening to giving this thing a second chance and they work through um, you know into this place of humility and they, somebody gets vulnerable there's still going to be forgiveness issues we're always whenever we're dealing with wounds from other people right or wrong there are forgiveness issues and I would just say this about forgiveness um, it's a process not an event it's a process not an event and it's something that is learned if I know anything about, and I've worked through a couple of deep wounds in my life, if I know anything about forgiveness, I know this. It just doesn't come. It's not the natural thing that just comes. You know, time heals all wounds. Yeah, um, not if you don't work at it. Not, it may lessen the blow, but if you don't work at it, there's no true forgiveness. Forgiveness is an effort. I mean, it was Peter say to, to Jesus, he says, well, I... the." The scholars, the law says we only have to forgive three people. So I'm going to impress Jesus. I'm going to tell him that I forgive seven times. So I'll double it, add one, and then, you know, he's going to be really impressed when I give him this one. Jesus, how many times must we forgive? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, you don't get it at all. Seven times 70. And I'm not saying 490. I'm saying until it's done. I'm saying until it's complete. It's a process that has to be worked through. And sometimes you can work through stuff and you think you're there and then something will come up and there it is again. And you start over and you work on it again. Ephesians 4.32, a book written by Paul, the very man we're, we're talking about, the person who had this separation, this grievance, separating grievance with another brother in Christ, he writes this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. That's the very same man. Now, I believe he had to work through that forgiveness to get to the place he was with, uh, with John Mark. And the Bible, he has glowing words about Barnabas too, so I'm sure that relationship was patched up as well. But to get to the place he got to with John Mark and Barnabas, he had to work through things. He had to work through forgiveness issues. And he's saying, look, you need, to forgive your, you need to forgive other people. 
God forgives us, how much more should we forgive other people? All right. I, um, I want to say this about the whole message, that um, the... See if I can put it this way. I understand it. These are four basic principles are simplistic at some level. That every time I've met with somebody who had a separating grievance with another, there was it, it was complicated. If it was a real bad separation, it's usually complicated. And it's not that easy. And as I said at the outset, we're not supposed to mend the fences with everybody. Some people don't bring health to our life. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about principles of life for relationships we know we're supposed to be in, but they're not, right now they're not what they're supposed to be. That's where Paul, John Mark, and Barnabas were. They knew they were supposed to be working together for God. They were doing it, and then they had a separating grievance, and at some level they, they all had to come to the conclusion, this can't be. How can we... How can we do God's work when we're not even forgiving one another, when we're not, not clearing the air about our own stuff? So I understand that whatever separation, some people are really wounded, some people are really hurt, and whatever separations you have may be very complicated. I will say this. There is, uh, this is a biblical pattern. I mean, if you look at, we looked a few weeks ago at Philippians 2, when it talks about what Jesus did for us. And basically, if you read it, it, it says this. Jesus didn't close the door on us. He stayed open. He, he, even though we went our own way and we made our own choices and we left him, God didn't close the door on us. He, he's like the father and the prodigal son waiting there for us to return home. That he's not going to stuff that fire out. He's not going to break off that reed. He's waiting. There is an openness for our relationship with him to be restored because he keeps the door open. And he got humble. He humbled himself so much that he took care of what we couldn't take care of. He came down. He he, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. I mean, you want to talk about vulnerability. He got rejected, beaten, uh, mocked, died on a cross for us. Got very vulnerable for us. And he deserved none of it. It wasn't because of his offense. It was to get, to, to, to acquire for us the thing we could not get on our own forgiveness. It was to restore what? A broken relationship. I mean, the very pattern of what he did is exactly what we're talking about here. These four biblical principles may sound simplistic, but it is what Jesus did on the cross so that we could have forgiveness and that our relationship with God would be restored. And so I think we can apply them to our own relationships and um, even though they may be complicated at times and even though... Uh, there's going to be work and tough times. If we keep the bigger principle in mind, I think this plays itself out. Um, so we have a, a closing song, which really just kind of a, another piece of the message, just going to fit right on top. And we're going to have our time of giving in a moment, but I want to pray over what we talked about here. Lord, I thank you for um, this early afternoon just to gather 
and um, sing about you, sing about our heart's desire for you, and hopefully hear from you, Lord, as you, as you whisper your still small voice from your word. So I pray, Lord, that for each of us that we would hear what it is you want us to, to hear, that you'd underline what it is you want us to underline in our own hearts, that if some of us are working through strife in our relationships, that you would give us the power of your grace and healing touch to mend those things. And Lord, give us clarity about um, which relationships need work, at what time should they be worked on. There's all kinds of issues around that stuff, Lord, but I do pray that you would bring life and health and healing and wholeness and, and um, your completeness to the very relationships that you want us to be in, the people we love, the people you place in our life that we're supposed to care for and care about. I pray you would help us to do that well. In Jesus' name, 